My name is Andrew Gomison, and it is my privilege each and every Wednesday to host the Speaking For Him podcast. My hope through this podcast is to give you encouragement as you traverse the journey that is the Christian life. We know that this journey is a marathon and not a sprint, and that we need each other. I want to thank you all for taking the time to listen and encourage you that if you are a first-time listener or you've simply never reached out, that you would give me some feedback with the contact information that will roll at the end of the show. It really does matter a whole lot. And also, if you could give a review on the podcast platform through which you are listening, particularly on Apple Podcasts, it would really help the show out. With that being said, let me introduce the topic for today. For those that have been listening for any length of time, you know that recently we have taken up this series about the myths of Jesus Christ. And what do I mean about the myths of Jesus? I simply mean things that the world believes about Jesus that we then examine through the lens of the Bible to find out if they are true. And what is often the case is that people take a shred of truth and they embellish it until it is not the truth. Half the truth is a whole lie. And it's important as we live out our Christian life to be grounded on the truth. And Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So as we unpack this series, we do so because we want people to have an accurate representation of Jesus. Why is this so important? Because Jesus is the Son of God and he loved you enough to die for you, to be buried for three days, and to rise again on that third day to give you freedom and liberty from sin. So believing the right things about him is super important. Well, today we are addressing the myth of whether Jesus would approve of the modern application of the term social justice. There's a lot of talk today about social justice, and on its surface, it seems like a good thing. But we're going to compare what the world says about social justice with what Jesus says about social justice. The sad thing to me when most people refer to social justice today is that they include in it things like a battle for the right to kill your unborn children or a battle to expand marriage and relationships beyond the biblical boundaries that God has set. And these are not fences from keeping you from enjoying life. Rather, they are guardrails to keep you from the dangers of life. And we need to understand that. So let's unpack what this means by going to our source, which is the scripture. And we're going to start out with our quote of the day. Our quote of the day comes from the scriptures, and it says, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, 
but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. And this is the prophet Micah talking to the Jewish people in the Old Testament, but it is applicable to us today. I do believe that we are to do justly, we are to love mercy, and we are to walk humbly with our God. Why are we to do justly? Because God is a God of justice. So much so that when we could not fulfill the requirements of perfection that heaven requires, he did not lower the standards of perfection, but rather sent Jesus to fulfill those standards so that we could claim his righteousness as he took our sin. Why should we love mercy? Because God, who is rich in mercy, gave us mercy in our time of need. God knows that we deserve hell, but he offers heaven because he gives us mercy. Why should we walk humbly before God? Because God has given us everything that we have. Nothing we have is something we've earned, and none of us seeks after God, and none of us is righteous. In Romans chapter 1 it says, No one seeks after God, no one is righteous, no, not one. So that excludes everyone. The only person who was perfect is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, because he was 100% man and 100% God at the same time. And not only was he, but he is. In Hebrews it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So let's start out this discussion by looking at what the National Association of Social Workers has to say about social justice. They say social justice is the view that everyone deserves equal economic, political, and societal rights and opportunities. Social workers aim to open the doors of access and opportunity for everyone, particularly those in greatest need. Now, on the surface, this doesn't seem to be problematic, but its application can be. I want you to specifically think about the word economic opportunities. Surely America is the land of opportunity, and it's great that people can work hard and get ahead here. That's one of the great things about America that anyone can make something of themselves in our American economy. But, often in the name of social justice, we feel that we have to disadvantage one party in order to advantage another. And I don't believe that that is biblical. Not only that, but secular social justice tends to take the form of deliberately going against biblical and sound morals. Many people think that it's social justice to fight for the right of people to kill their unborn children or to redefine interpersonal relationships in ways that are biblically unhealthy. So how should a Christian respond to the call for social justice? Well, let's look at a few points in that regard. The first thing we need to realize as we contemplate this issue of social justice is what Jesus said about us as human beings. He said that we are made in the image of God. Matthew 19, 4 and 5 says, And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, 
And he said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. And again, that's Matthew nineteen four and 5. In this passage, we see Jesus talking about the biblical pattern of marriage. And one of the ways that he sets up this discussion is talking about the way that he made us. The fact that he made us male and female. And in Genesis chapter 1, we read that God said, Let us, meaning Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image. And so the first thing we need to understand is that God made us male and female for a purpose. This is something that's getting lost in the gender fluidity of our modern culture. There's nothing fluid about gender. God chose your gender at the beginning of time and at the beginning of your existence because he wanted you to be who he made you. The next thing that we can realize is that Jesus tells us that the greatest commandments are to love God and to love others. The religious leaders love to test Jesus, and so they ask him this question, Master, what is the greatest commandment? And here is what his response is. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-six to 40, it reads, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, there were many more laws in the Old Testament than these two laws. But the point that Jesus was making is that if you prioritize loving God and loving others, then your obedience to the other laws will come naturally. And so as we think about this issue of social justice, we need to look at it through the lens of how will this activity bring justice that shows our love for God and our love for others. So often, as I said, the modern approach to social justice is we have to put down someone to raise up another instead of working to encourage and raise up each other and make this a better world. Now, of course, on an individual basis, we are to to esteem others better than ourselves. But when the government gets involved in this process and says, because this race has been marginalized, they should be elevated above you, that causes problems. And it does not come from a place of love but rather from a place of self-importance and patronization, which does not actually help people in the long run. The third thing that I want to mention, because first we mentioned that we are made in the image of God, we are made for a purpose, as we've already established, and then also that we are to follow the greatest commandments, to love God and love others. The third aspect of this is that we are to work hard to honor Jesus. Colossians three 
23 to 25 says, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. So we need to realize that when we go to work, whatever it is we're doing, whether we're working at home or whether we are in the workforce, that we are ultimately working for Christ, not for an employer and not for our personal advancement. There is a pervasive cultural phenomenon on Facebook, particularly, that says, don't worry about other people's happiness, just achieve your own. And often there is a good motive behind it. The idea is not to let people naysay you or believe that you can't reach your dreams. But there are some dangerous connotations to this as well in the fact that it almost encourages you not to think about others, to only think about yourself, which is a selfish attitude. And we need to make sure that we do not manifest that sort of attitude. And the next part of this that I think is really neat in this passage is that Jesus says here, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, through Paul, Jesus tells us that he is no respecter of persons. It says, there is no respecter of persons with God. So that means that God views everyone equally. The Christian faith of our founding fathers permeates the founding of the United States of America. Does that mean that it's perfect? No, we made mistakes. But the founding fathers also equipped us with the constitution and the way and means to correct the mistakes that we have made. That's one of the things that is so great about America. And the Bible tells us that God is no respecter of persons, so we should not be either. We should treat everyone equally. And I think the one thing that we need to be aware of as we consider that is that equality of opportunities is not the same as equality of outcomes. And I think sometimes the secular viewpoint is, well, a certain race of people has had all the opportunities for years, so let's close off their opportunities and let's give people of marginalized societies or races these opportunities regardless of their skill level or their determination to be good at something. And so they don't really encourage them to do better because often they lower the standards in order to make it happen. Again, remember when we were talking about redemption of mankind in the beginning of the episode, it was important for us to know that God did not lower the standards of righteousness in order to get us into heaven. Rather, he brought Jesus down to us so that we could reach up to God 
through Jesus' righteousness and his sacrifice on the cross. That's a huge distinction. And now we move on to number four on our list. All people are equal in Jesus. This is a very important thing for us to realize. And if we believe this, we need to live it out. That everyone is a valuable creation of God. I like to think about it this way. I will never interact with anyone in my day-to-day life for whom Christ has not died. Here's what Paul said about that in Galatians. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ, and if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is a very important passage. Paul is saying that according to Jesus, and in the eyes of God, there is no distinction between different races or the genders. Now, this does not negate what Paul himself has written about the genders, and it does not negate the fact that God actually has particular roles for men and women. Because a difference in role is not a difference in equality. And the secular world would have you believe that if a woman takes her rightful place as a helper of her husband, that she is somehow inferior, when that is not the reality at all. The reality is that God made man, and that man did not find a helper for himself among the animals, and so God made him and help meet, and that help meet was Eve. And Eve was the grand accomplishment of creation, the crown jewel. God saw everything that he made and that it was good. But when he finished, when he made Eve, he said it was very good. I wish that the women in my audience could fully grasp what it means to be the crown jewel of God's creation. And the fact that when God says that your husband is to be your protector, that your father is to be your protector, that that is not a derogatory or negative thing, but is actually a rich thing of blessing. And it's interesting how Paul speaks of the promise of Abraham in this passage too, because if you read Genesis chapter 12, you will find there that when God is talking to Abraham about making him a great nation and asking him to go out in faith to do what he is asked of God, he says, in you will all the nations of the world be blessed. Well, how is that true? Because through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob came 
the nation of Israel, and through the nation of Israel, through the tribe of Judah, came Jesus, who is the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and who extends salvation to all mankind. So this is an extreme blessing for which you and I can be most thankful. So I think it's so very important for us to realize what we have in Christ. The final point that I want to share with you today in regards to the proper approach to social justice is we should show the love of Jesus by giving to the needs of others. I have said on this podcast as well as on my news and information podcast, Culture Watch, which if you haven't listened to that yet, you can find it on this stream every Monday. But I have said repeatedly on my podcast and in private conversations that I think one of the saddest things about the U.S. government today is that it is about twice as big as it should be, and I think a large reason for that is because the church has dropped the ball when it comes to caring for their own, and as the church has dropped the ball, the government says, we will take care of that, but the government's price tag is far higher than we should be paying. This is what God says is the church's responsibility in caring for the needs of others. In Acts chapter 2, 44-47 we read, And all that believed were together, and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Acts 2.44-47 Now, I know some people may point to that and say, See, God is for socialism. But I want you to understand something. The people that are mentioned in this passage willingly gave of their resources for their fellow believers in the church. That is what was so amazing about the fact that they had these things in common. They weren't forced to do it. They were never particularly commanded or encouraged to do it. They just had a level of fellowship that said, we are going to sell what we have and give to those who have need. We see in Acts chapter 5 that Ananias and Sapphira got this wrong. They had land and they sold it and they were able to give whatever they wanted of that land to the church. And I'm sure the church would have been happy to receive however much of it they wanted to cheerfully give. But they chose 
to give half of it and say that they gave it all. Giving half of it wasn't wrong, but giving half of it and giving the impression to the church that they had given it all was because they were bearing false witness and God took them home to glory because they did that. Some people say that Ananias and Sapphira were not believers, but I do not believe that you can lie to the Holy Spirit if you don't personally know the Holy Spirit. So I am of a mind that these precious people were believers in the Lord who responded to good peer pressure in a way and said, we're going to sell our land and give to the church. But they wanted recognition over being honest. So they said that they sold the land for the amount of money that they gave when in fact they only sold it for half. But I do believe they had every right to only give half. But the issue was that they were being deceptive about how much they were actually giving because they were giving the impression that they were giving all when in fact they weren't. The other thing I wanted to point out is that you can tell that the heart attitudes of these people were right because it says they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, and they ate their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. They were united, praising God and having favor with all the people. So because of their united front, because of the way that they were living in harmony with one another, they were drawing people to Jesus. This is so important because the Bible says they will know you are my disciples because you love one another. And I think that's a very important thing for us to realize. They were doing this. They were selling their things. They had all things in common. Not because they were compelled by the state. Not because they were commanded by the disciples. But because they loved one another. Such an important distinction. And I hope that this gives you some ammunition as you fight the culture war. Because so many people have a faulty view of what the Bible says about things. And it's important for us to rightly divide the word of truth. That's why we need to study the word of God so that we can show ourselves to prove rightly dividing the word of truth. In the book of James, we read, True religion and undefiled is this, to visit the fatherless and the widow and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. In Acts chapter 6, deacons were appointed in the church because the widows of the church needed to be cared for. And I think that we would be a better served church of God today if we cared more about people than we do about programs and more about building up the people in our church than building funds to provide better buildings for the church.
people over projects and building up people over buildings. So important. Well, that's about all I have time for today on the podcast. If you have any feedback, please make sure that you contact me with the contact information that's about to roll. And please make sure you share this podcast with your family and friends so that they too can be encouraged on this journey that we call the Christian life. For now, though, I will simply say, have a great week and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at speakingforhim. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.